Coming up on Golf Today, Scotty Scheffler back to where it all began, back to back at the WM Phoenix Open, back to being the number one player in the world. How much will his 2023 look just like his 2022? And speaking of back-to-back, Stacey Lewis set to be Solheim Cup captain both this year in Spain and next year in Virginia. We'll catch up with the former world number one and ask her about the keys to leadership. With the PGA Tour and Tiger in L.A. this week, we thought it wise to look ahead to the U.S. Open in L.A. in June, a preview of all the happenings at L.A. Country Club coming up on Golf Today. Off today. After a giant and very loud week in Phoenix, the game of golf gets more good news this week. Tiger Woods announcing via Twitter on Friday afternoon that he was returning to competition at this week's Genesis Invitational. It will mark Tiger's first official non-major start on the PJ Tour since the 2020 Zozo Championship. He did tee it up, of course, in three majors last year, making a couple of cuts, though. He withdrew after three rounds the PGA Championship. This is Golf Today. David Hack alongside Rex Hoggard. My man, last week was crazy, and now we get Tiger Woods as well. What a great and unexpectedly great two weeks in the game. Before we move on to this week, you were the only person that could leave Scottsdale after that week and look refreshed. Look at you. It's do like I you, really? You did look refreshed. <laughs> Normally, people leave there. Oh. Big game going on. Big tournament going on. A lot of noise. A lot of rowdy folks. And look at you. It's like you just came out of the gym. I had a few days to recover. Are you surprised, by the way, Tiger Woods? I mean, most people say, well, maybe we'll see him in April. What does it tell you about his health and also the importance of the genesis to him? I think, first off, you asked me if I was surprised. And, and I'd like to think I'm not very surprised. I'm not surprised very often because it is kind of my business to know these things. I was shocked wow. when that news came out. And I think you kind of downplayed the tweet, to be honest with you. It was actual playing a PGA Tour event. Actual was all caps. It shows you what this means to Tiger Woods. If you would have asked me back at the PNC uh, Challenge, mm. back late last year when he was playing with his son Charlie, will we see him at Riviera? No way. He was in a yeah. golf cart. He was playing 36 holes. When he was out of the golf cart, there was a lot of limping. There was a lot of slow movement. I can't imagine how far he has come in that really short amount of time to be ready for this event. I'm surprised as well. I got to spend some time with him at the fall as Tiger Woods Jr. Mm-hmm. Invitational. I was pre Plantar fasciitis, and he looked fantastic. He was strong. He was in a great uh, place mentally and physically. But I thought that the setback with the plantar fasciitis would have delayed this comeback just a little bit. And now he goes back to the tournament that he hasn't won. The guy who's done everything in this game. I mean, look at this record. I mean, he has 11 made cuts, three missed cuts, a couple of runner-up finishes, including 98, by the way, when it was played at Valencia Country Club. It's not far from where I grew up. I took my mom, by the way, to that event. Then he finished runner-up in 1999. But but how about this this great white whale for Tiger Woods trying to get it done at Riviera? I think it's so much fun. And you go back to earlier in his career, we all know what this meant to him. You go back to 92. We're going to see that footage a lot this week. This is essentially where it was Hello World in Milwaukee, yeah, but it, sure. this was really Hello World. I yeah. think this is when your average golf fan had an opportunity to see this phenom that would become Tiger Woods. And clearly, now that the event benefits his foundation, now that it's close to home, all of these things, it means the world to him. The other half of it is, we've known Tiger Woods a long time, you and mm. I. We've asked this question a lot of times. He's not showing up there as a ceremonial golfer. Mm. He feels like, to your point, they have put him back together, the team around him, to the point that he feels like he can go, show up, and be competitive. We were talking about 
this morning, there's not going to be an easy golf course for him physically on the PGA mm. Tour going forward. And this one, you would think maybe not great, but outside of the walk down one and the walk back up 18, yeah. it's a relatively flat golf course. I can see him having a good week. It's mind over matter for this player. Sure. Uh, he's built in one way and one way only, and that is to win golf tournaments. And just to hear him talk uh, last fall at Pebble Beach and talking to the kids about his time with, with Kobe Bryant and, and messages he sent to him and, and the way that the greats think, it's very, very different. I think as long as he plays competitively, it'll be about winning golf tournaments. It was that way in his 20s. It'll be that way in his 50s if we are so lucky to have him. Statistically, that's impossible, what you just showed. His record at Riviera cannot be a real thing. And there are so many statistics and records when it comes to Tiger Woods that we have a hard time wrapping our mind around and putting into context. That one I just don't mm. get. Because it seems like there's nothing about that golf course that doesn't fit his yeah. game either now. Iron, one of the best iron player of all time, maybe. It's or not 20 years ago. Long. Explain yeah. that to me. Explain yeah. to me how that golf course. It's funny, uh, when uh, uh, Joe LaCava first started working for him, Joe told a story about having to talk Tiger Woods into playing Riviera because he mm. just didn't feel like it was the course to fit him. And now you look at that record and you're trying to think to yourself, man, that's got to be one of the things. There aren't too many things that are on the shelf for him to play for, that's got to be one of them. The golf gods keep moving that goalpost away from Tiger trying to win in L.A. With more on this Monday, let's welcome in a third member of our team, Paige McKenzie, who was in the belly of the beast last week. How about this two-week stretch in the game, Phoenix on fire last week, and Tiger in L.A. this week? Well, first, the entire city of Phoenix, I think, is hungover today over the, the last 24 hours. <laughs> I, I feel somewhat refreshed because I will say West Coast sports allow me to be in bed by 10 o'clock uh, at night. Uh, but, yeah, it's been a phenomenal stretch so far in that Phoenix, I feel like, kind of – did what we expected it to do. It separated the best players in the world. It also gave us some extra storylines with Nick Taylor, Jason Day playing well, Ricky Fowler playing well. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to moving over to California and again, having the big shots head to head once again. A fantastic time in the game in the month of February. Let's start this Monday by flashing back, by the way, to 2022 in the WM So, but it was great last year. This is where the magic started, you'll recall. Briscotti Scheffler went on to win the event, beat Patrick Cantley of UCLA on that third Playoff hole. first career win on the PGA Tour, started a great run of golf for Scotty, won four of six starts, won the Masters, very worthy PGA Tour player of the year. And then on Super Bowl Sunday, yesterday, picking up right where he left off, defended his title at the WM, Phoenix Open captured his fifth career PGA Tour victory, his first since the Masters last April with the win, returned to the number one spot in the official world golf ranking, overtaking Rory Mapworth on the top spot. And, and look at this. This is a guy, look at the successful defenses in Phoenix. Hideki, Johnny Miller. I mean, this is this is the, the cream of the crop, Rex. Well, and you look at Scotty Scheffler. We were having this conversation this morning. He's not the most outspoken guy. Mm. If you listened to his interview yesterday, it was very downplayed. He just talked about trying to make those incremental gains. He yeah. talked about the idea that I don't try to make major changes, and yet he shows up. And this atmosphere, which, by the way, Paige also looks fantastic after a weekend, Scott Scottsdale as well, <laughs> in this environment and just thrives in it. He loved every single minute yesterday. We're going to get into some details, but it was fun. It was a terrific final round for Scott. Even when he hit the ball that well, bogey-free for the Texans, didn't have his best stuff. It did not matter when the lights were the brightest. He hit the shots required, a little masking tape from time to time, and a lot of belief to beat Nick Taylor by a couple of shots. And as they say on the game shows, Rex, that's not all. With the win overtaking Rory McIlroy to regain the top spot in the official 
World Golf Ranking. Paige McKenzie, five minutes ago, we were talking about this world belonging to John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. What did we learn about Scotty Scheffler yesterday? I think we saw him play and scrap out an incredible round when he didn't have his best golf. And we, we talk so often about the best players, you know, historically, over time. The reason they maintain excellence is because their lows aren't that low. And when you consider he was bogey-free and really didn't have his best stuff, in fact, I would say all weekend, going back to the third round even, we saw he just wasn't his sharp off of the tee. Didn't provide himself as many opportunities. When he hit the fairway, he was striping it, and he got some birdies from the fairway. But too often, this seemed to have been the case, and it, it was worrisome. This third round ended up having to take an unplayable on this par 5 13th hole. And I thought, he's got to probably clean it up. Only five fairways the third round. There's no way you can get through a final round on a Sunday with only five fairways. Well, what do we see, especially early in the day? We saw this continued pattern of missed fairways, a lot of them to the left, which is quite scary for any professional golfer. Because of that overspin, because of that right to left spin on the ball, it does tend to trundle further away and get you in more trouble. And that was the primary direction of most of his misses early in the round. Uh, again, only five fairways in the fourth round. And I think, Damon, that's what impressed me the most is that he didn't play his best but he still managed a bogey-free six under par round to win this golf tournament. And it had everything to do with how good his iron play was, how good the other parts of his game were able to make up for what was a poor driver for a, a lot of the round. I would say that the drive on 15, the drive on 17 were exceptional in the moment, considering he did not have his best off the tee for the early part of the day. I mean, to Paige's point, this was a clinic in game management. From the very beginning, it was clear he did not have his best stuff. And I guess what impressed me is having been at the American Express a few weeks ago and watching the exact same thing that John Rahm had to deal with. On mm. Sunday, he did not have his best stuff. And how rewarding that was for him in the aftermath, where, okay, I can have my B or my C game, the Tiger Woods line, of course, and still win. I can only imagine Scotty Scheffler is going to take a similar amount of confidence. I will say that I've seen this movie before. I know what the sequel is. Let's go back to last year. And if you compare where he's at this point in his season right now to where he was at at this point last year, it's amazing how close it is. Eight starts. He's added a couple starts this time around. Both have the wins, of course, in Phoenix at the Waste Management event. Top tens, very, very similar. Three to four. The missed cuts, I think I would just miss that. He added an event mm. in the fall. The one that gets me, though, if you look, he was in the heat in Mexico in the fall. He was right in the hunt in Houston. He played solid in the American Express. It seems to be the formula for him. Now, mm. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to have a similar spring because that was phenomenal. He went on to win Bay Hill, right. the match play, and, of course, the Masters. I, I don't know that we end up there, but this is certainly a site for people to look at your John Rahm, your Rory McIlroy, and think to themselves, man, he's on a similar trajectory right now. You know, he's not a confrontational player, at least outwardly, but when you look at the the skins that he's gotten now, the, the players that he's beaten, that's over 36 holes that he was with John Rahm, one of the two hottest players in the world alongside uh, Rory McIlroy. And think back to that Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits a couple of years ago. He was a captain's pick for Steve Stricker. He hadn't won on the PGA Tour. And before Sunday singles, John Rahm unbeaten. Three and a half points over Friday and Saturday for Team Europe. It's Scotty Scheffler. You know what? He took him to the woodshed. He does love the smoke, and you're right. He's not going to say this publicly. I've had a chance to talk with his swing coach, Randy Smith, about this. There is a burning desire. Ooh. I remember seeing the same thing with Dustin Johnson years ago. There was nothing outward that led you to believe that, oh, 
He loves to be in this situation. Yeah. He loves to go head-to-head, -head, but internally, it's there. Beat Rom 4-3, and three, and after the, the tournament yesterday, Amanda Balionis renner on CBS was trying to do the Roy Firestone, get some emotion out of Scotty. He yeah. just wouldn't go there. He was very, very level. He just is not going to get, you said, too high, too low. And I think that has to help him inside the ropes. And he was even asked yesterday after his round, look, this came down to putting. We can break down his putting later, mm -hmm. where he, what he did this week versus what he has done so far this season. But even after the round, someone asked about how aggravating was it to go through your putting struggles. And this really started towards the end of last year and manifested itself into Maui early part of this season. He wouldn't go there emotionally mm. there either. In his mind, it's always a step for, uh, forward. Well, Scotty Scheffler picking up right where we left off in 2022. And coming up next, a special guest, speaking of steady and level, about a two-time major champ, Stacy Lewis, joins the program, just been named captain of the 2024 U.S. Solheim Cup team. Talking to Stacy coming up. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome back to Golf Today. News on this Monday. Two-time major champ Stacey Lewis has been named captain of the 2024 U.S. Soha Cup team. Already captain of the 2023 team and will now also lead the top 12 American women as they represent their country at Robert Trent Jones Golf Club in Gainesville, Virginia in 2024. Stacey, no stranger. The Solheim Cup 2011, 13, 15, and 17. Also in 2019, served as an unofficial assistant captain under Julie Inkster after withdrawing from competition due to injury. She worked in that role in an official capacity under Pat Hurst in 2021. And great to speak to the two-time major champ on this Monday. Youngest Solheim Cup captain in, in history. It'll be twice, you said, right? Rex, the, the idea of taking over this role two times in a row, Stacey, how did it come about? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I agreed to 23, not not knowing this was coming. But um, as we talked to, you know, the the committee and the tour, um, it really became pretty clear that what was best for the players, um, the players more than anybody, was that we had the same captain. And um, just to make things easier on them, it's going to be a busy 24 is going to be a really busy year for them with um, with the Olympics as well. So um, really want to do what was best for the players and then just happened to be there and um, have the opportunity to do it twice. Now, we have seen this on the men's side, Stacey, where you have this continuity. If you're a vice captain, you kind of work your way up to being a captain. Mm -hmm. How important is a similar continuity for the Solheim Cup? 
It's very important. You know, that that is why Angela and Morgan um, specifically are my assistants for um, for Spain. And um, we'll work through what we're going to do for 24. But it's really about getting them prepared for the next ones and for 26 and for 28, you know, down the road. So um, they've been great so far and um, just trying to bring them in on everything we're working on and make sure, you know, they see what works and see what doesn't work and they can take it into their own. Stacy, everybody always asks, what kind of captain will you be? I want to know what kind of players do you want on this team? I want some hungry players. I want, you know, I know these players want to win. Um, you know, not a lot of them have been on winning teams. So um, I want hungry players. I want gritty players. I want to, you know, take a little bit of our past. You know, I want each of them to have a little bit of Kathy Whitworth in them. You know, that desire to win and that desire to be great. Um, you know, they're going to learn about, a lot about the history and and have, you know, have a reason why they're teeing it up and understand the importance of the Solheim Cup and um, and, and, and our past captains and, and learn from them, too. I was reading this morning an interview you did, you did with Beth Ann Baldry <laughs> with Golf Week magazine where you kind of reference new stats that you want to use specifically for pairings. How important is <laughs> analytics moving forward for this team? It's huge. You know, we at just the LPGA in general, we haven't had stats to even work off of um, that are that were anywhere productive and trying to pick pairings. So it's going to be a really big part of of captain's picks and of pairings and who's going to play well together and how we can really take advantage of the golf course, um, because this golf course is pretty short. And so we got to find the right people to help us take advantage of that. Stacy, when you won your second major, you hit one of the best shots in the history of the game on the road hole, as far as I'm concerned. You are a player, at least to me. What does this mean, these captaincies mean for your playing days going forward? Well, I'm still playing. Um, you know, I, I would like to I would like to play on a team still, um, but I would also like 12 players playing better than me because that means our team is in a great spot. So um, I'm still going to play as much as I can, um, try to juggle everything. Um, and But it's important, you know, it's important to be around the players, um, to know their personalities, know what makes them tick, um, and just to, how I can help them the best to be successful. Now, now that you're going to have an opportunity to do this twice, what are the specific challenges of being a home captain versus an away captain? Well, they're really different. You know, um, being away is um, I love the team environment when you're away because it's such a small group of people around you. Um, and then you come to the U.S. and it's just it's big. It is just there's so many people there. It's managing the fans. Um, your emotions become a little bit harder to play with there. Um, our players are pulled in more directions, more more time commitments, uh, more autographs. So um, so they each have things about it that make them special, but they each have their challenges. Um, you know, our biggest challenge in Spain is, is going to be the Spanish fans and, and all the songs. I think we're all going to go to bed singing Ole every <laughs> night, but, uh, but it'll be awesome. Stacy, like you, Michelle, we, a young mom, a Solheim cup veteran. Can you envision a role for her at some point, 2023 or 2024 uh, with your Solheim cup team? Um, I don't know if it's, you know, Michelle was involved last time and, um, I see her role more in the future, to be honest. I think she's going to be a captain and she's going to be a great captain. Um, but, you know, I think there, there's a couple more people in line for her. Um, but yeah, but she's still going to be involved. Um, she's working on something kind of cool and special for us to, to help get the fans involved for 2023. So look forward to, to announcing that pretty soon.
Okay, so your focus I know right now is going to be mm -hmm. on this year's Solheim Cup. Europe has won four of the last six of these matches. What's your message to your team right now? <laughs> um, we got to play some great golf. I think that's message number one, um, that uh, it's not going to be handed to us. We got to go over there, be prepared. Um, and and I think it might be one of the first ones in a long time, maybe ever, that we, the U.S. team might even go into this thing as the underdog, where Europe might actually be favored, and they probably should be. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how the teams all come together and see what players are there. But, you know, we, we got to go play some great golf and that that's really what it comes down to. And I want these players to play free and play aggressive and, and go play to win it. Stacy, I know you're putting together a team, but this is an individual game. You know what it's like to be the best player in the world, the best American in the game of golf. How much do you empathize with Anneli Corda, Alexi Thompson, with the players that have all of these expectations on their shoulders and sometimes the criticism that goes along with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've actually, I've talked to Nelly a lot. Uh, I've talked to Nelly, talked to Alexi a lot, um, just trying to be in their ear. And, you know, I, I think back to my Solon Cup career, I've come into this thing as the number one player in the world, as number one in points. Um, I've been all over the map. And so I... You know, I totally get it and just trying to help them deal with those extra requirements and the added pressure. Well, Stacy, you've been a fighter your whole life and career, overcoming uh, back issues as a child to become the best player in the world. Congrats on this dual role, 2023 and 2024. <laughs> we'll speak to you soon. Awesome. Great. Thanks for having me. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Genesis Invitational begins Thursday at Riviera Country Club. Tiger Woods is the tournament host, yes, and announced on Friday via social media. He'll be teeing it up. It'll mark his first official non-major start on the PGA Tour since the 2020 Zozo Championship. He teed it up in three majors last year, making a couple of cuts, withdrew after three rounds of the PGA Championship. By the way, we'll have Tiger's presser at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow right here on Golf Channel to take a look at the longest span between official worldwide starts for Tiger Woods as a professional. Yeah, he's done this before 508 days between the 2020 Masters and 2022. This will be 216 days between starts. So speaking of events in Los Angeles, the U.S. Open will head 
to LA Country Club in June. LACC has previously hosted three USGA championships, including the 2017 Walker Cup matches. The club sits on the edge of Beverly Hills, spans 320 acres, and features two 18-hole golf courses overlooking the nearby city. I can tell you it is choice and all these venues, really, the upcoming venues for the U.S. Open, just fantastic covering the span, really, of the nation. Some places that we're accustomed to. Wingfoot getting another bite of the apple, as you see, in 2028. Pebble Beach in 2027 also hosted the Women's U.S. Open this year. The USGA Chief Championships Officer John Bodenhammer joins us on this Monday. John, where are you right now in the process in terms of the USGA putting its hands on the golf course? Well, Damon, uh, it's great to be with you guys, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, putting our hands on the golf course, we've been doing it for three years, and even longer than that. It goes all the way back to the 2017 Walker Cup. We began to really think about what a U.S. Open was going to look like in 2023. So we're really more intently um, uh, thinking about the golf course, what's coming at us from uh, as we've gotten through the winter, what the weather is going to look like. We think we know how we've got that figured out uh, for the most part. We couldn't be more excited. It's this wonderful historic oasis in the middle of, a, of an urban setting, and uh, it's going to be a great U.S. Open. I think this year's U.S. Open, John, is going to be a highlight on a lot of our golf calendars for the reasons you just pointed out. But being a new venue, from the fans' perspective, what should they look forward to at this golf course? Yeah, it's a great question, Rex. I, you know, I, I think uh, Los Angeles Country Club is so unique. Uh, first and foremost, it sits in a part of our country that, uh, you know, provides uh, great beauty, but I think it really is uh, where it sits and the landforms that are Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, you know, the great architect George C. Thomas Jr. Uh, with a recent uh, touch-up restoration by Gil Hans a few years ago have really, uh, really restored this masterpiece uh, that goes back more than 100 years from its creation. And what makes it so special are those landforms. You see movement of the ground that was left in place when it was built. You see a magnificent barranca that runs throughout the property. That's all natural. Uh, Thomas put holes in around those barrancas and fairways that meander around them. It's so natural and, and it's just uh, such a great touch. And I think strategically we think about it in offering architecture that gives players choices. They'll be able to play almost every hole in different ways. And so we'll think about how we set it up and and really maximize that variety, particularly on the three pars, which are unique and, and really bring it to life. And I think almost as much as anything, we think we'll be able to control the weather. It doesn't rain much in June in Los Angeles. So we're gonna have firm and fast bouncy conditions, which we think brings the cream uh, to the top with the US Open. Doesn't rain much in June, John, but it's rained a lot this winter in Los Angeles. Uh, what have the weather challenges been, uh, if any, so far? I think you have seen a lot of rain. The good news is uh, both at Los Angeles Country Club and Pebble Beach up north, the golf courses came through the winter quite well. And uh, we're primed now. We're, we're, we're putting final touches on it. You know, some of the rain that came through the Barrancas, there had to be a little bit of uh, restorative work done. But frankly, the rain was a blessing. It, it kind of uh, kept us in a better position as it pertains to any water shortages and things. And so I think by the time we get to June, uh, we're confident that uh, we'll have firm and fast conditions. And we're going to be playing on Bermuda, Bermuda grasses, which we don't do much for a U.S. Open. So we're thinking a lot as we go forward in the coming months about what the rough is going to look like and how firm and fast we want to keep the fairways and the putting greens. We don't want it to be too fast, but we do want to test the players, not only when their ball's in the air, but once it hits the ground and where it goes after it hits the ground. And think about that is really key. 
we just got through looking at a list of where the future U.S. Opens are going to be, and they pretty much, it's a rotation we can look at. We, Pebble Beach, of course, and Pinehurst, and all of these great venues that we've gone to so many times. What are the challenges for you, who has to set up the golf course for this championship, to do it going into a new venue? There are challenges. There's the unknown. There's the unknown with uh, golf course setup. There's the unknown on just about every factor. We have to create everything from scratch, but I think we do look back at all the data that we can get. The 2017 uh, Walker Cup was key, and I think you, you think of players on that team. Think about who was on that team. Colin Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, uh, Cameron Champ, uh, Maverick McNeely, Doc Redman. I mean, the list goes on. It's just who's who on tour these days, and we look at what we did there with uh, things like firmness and rough heights and length and how that played, and, and we learned from that. And we've been on the golf course a lot, and, and I think we'll, uh, we'll listen to players. Some will, some will be out there this week to play, and, and uh, we'll take everything in we can. And I think the good news is that uh, we do have some good information, and uh, we'll build it as we go. But it's exciting. I mean, we've been trying to uh, conduct a U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, I'd say for about 75 years, and we're about to do it, and, and, and uh, it's going to be really special. On that note, John, and I know you have a championship to run, but how much will you try and draft off that Los Angeles energy? Lakers, Dodgers, UCLA Bruins, Hollywood. How much is that important uh, to putting this championship together as well? It is. We, uh, it's the first U.S. Open we will have conducted in, in Los Angeles in 75 years. Uh, it is, uh, the energy is off the charts. You can feel it when you're in the community. You can feel it at the club. You can feel it at, with everybody uh, in the surrounding community. And it's not just in the golf community. That's what's exciting to us. It's in the greater sports and entertainment community. And boy, that's LA, you know, the Hollywood glitz, the sun, the beaches, the 10 million people, um, you know, all that's there. And, and it's been so long since we've been there. That energy is, is really gonna be a great crescendo in June. It's gonna bring a lot of energy to uh, a US Open which we love, the bigness of a U.S. Open. Couldn't be more exciting. John, go back to last week when the USGA announced some changes to the qualification criteria for both the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open. What was the motivation there? I think we, uh, every year, look at uh, our exemption categories across all of our championships. We do a review, and we've done it uh, infinitum. Going back many, many years, uh, we continually try to get better, but... I think uh, openness is a key word for us. You earn your way into any of our championships. We'll have nine to 10,000 that will enter the U.S. Open this year. Uh, you know, 2,000 will enter the U.S. Women's Open qualifying to earn their way in. We're the ultimate meritocracies. You play your way in. It doesn't matter your background or, or where you come from or the color of your skin. You earn your way in, and we're proud of that. And that was our motivation, to be open. Those that have earned their way, whether through exemption as our past champions or in other categories, or that can go through qualifying. Uh, that's what we retained. Uh, we basically have about 50% of the field come through uh, exempt players, and the other 50% go through qualifying both uh, in this country and around the world at more than 100 sites. We're proud of that openness. John, I'm from Los Angeles. While I don't see a future U.S. Open at the Van Nuys Par 3 or, or Knollwood or Azusa Greens where I used to play. Uh, can you envision a U.S. Open going back to Los Angeles at some point, be it LACC or somewhere else? Uh, I can. We're uh, actually, uh, we announced several months ago we'll be taking the U.S. Women's Open uh, in uh, 2032 
excuse me, 2033 to Los Angeles Country Club and the U.S. Open back in, in 2039. And, you know, we're, we're in discussions with a lot of clubs and we're always looking at what possibilities would be as we, as we go forward. But we, we love L.A. We love all that it's about. L.A. County. We love Southern California. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're the United States Golf Association. We try to get everywhere and the U.S. Open's part of that. And uh, Los Angeles Country Club will provide a great venue this year after 75 years of not being in one of our biggest markets and most exciting places in our country. And you obviously love Northern California as well. The U.S. Women's Open will be played at Pebble Beach. What are you looking forward to the most for that championship? I, th I think that uh, really to look forward to just the celebration of the women's game and all the great history the men have made over the years, the women are finally going to be able to do that. Uh, and it, it, it's just... Uh, it's so exciting to see uh, the great moments that will be made both this year at Pebble Beach, uh, along the you know the Monterey Peninsula there, and and uh, what is a national treasure uh, that that is Pebble Beach, and the women will experience that. It'll be a happy U.S. Women's Open. Uh, somebody will walk up that 18th fairway either with a lead or tied for the lead, uh, and ultimately win at Pebble Beach. And it'll be a long run of future U.S. Opens and U.S. Women's Opens at Pebble Beach. And we're proud of that uh, for, for both championships. And, uh, but it's going to be a celebration of the entire women's game and all the stories that will come out of that. Couldn't be better. John, if I could embarrass you for a moment, uh, before you joined the USGA more than a decade ago, you actually played in a couple of U.S. amateurs back in the day in the 1980s. Life full circle for you. What's it like to be in this role with the USGA? Wow, that's quite a question. You know, uh, you're dating me now, Damon. That goes back quite a ways. Did play in a couple of U.S. amateurs. Played in the Pacific Coast Amateur at Los Angeles Country Club. So it goes way back, uh, my history with Los Angeles Country Club. It's a very special place to me and numerous events at Pebble Beach. For me, it's, it's really hard to describe. I, I, um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I was a young boy, like a lot of young boys and young girls growing up on a golf course, working on the golf course, picking the range, and, um, and cleaning the carts, and I'd play home. Our family home was behind the third green of, of the club that I grew up at, uh, and uh, I'd play home every night like a lot of kids do in the summertime, and I had one putt every single night, and it was to win one thing every single night when I was a boy growing up, to win the U.S. Open. And to do what I do now with the U.S. Open and all of our USGA national championships, it literally, literally is a dream come true for me. I feel a great obligation. I lead a great team of talented staff. And uh, it's just a, an honor to do what we do and create uh, tough but fair and do it in a way where when you climb the mountaintop and win one of our national championships, you've really done something special and achieved something unique. Truly a life full circle moment for you, John. Thanks so much for the time. We are very excited about the summer. Pebble Beach, of course, and L.A. North as well. We will speak to you soon, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always good to be with you. John Bodenhammer with the USGA. And as you noted, Rex, how about these venues? I mean, really the history of the game woven into the future venues for the United States Open. And we talked about this. I just think adding Los Angeles, the North Course, there's so much going into this. It's going to be the highlight for a lot of people coming into this schedule simply because of how special that golf course is going to play. We'll be bringing home some more hats and sweaters. I hope my wife is uh, going to be ready. The closet's going to get a little more crowded with a lot of great logos over the next several years. Still to come on Golf Today with Scotty Scheffler defending his title at the WM and ascending back to the top spot in the world. Kind of thinking just how good the game is right now. I'd say pretty, pretty good. Golf Today.
Today rolls on on a Monday. Damon Hack alongside Rex Hogan. We have Paige McKenzie joining us from Arizona. She was there in the belly of the beast. I was there for a few days. I was with Rex a year ago there. A lot of Scottsdale energy. A lot of energy this day also about Los Angeles where the site of Tiger Woods is long awaited return. So time now though for winning moments presented by Win Grips. Yesterday TPC Scottsdale Paige McKenzie, this was really a key moment. Eagle putt for Scotty at 13. It was, and considering he was even par through his par fives up until the final round where he was ultimately three under for those three par fives, that obviously was the biggest moment. How about 16? Pretty crucial as well. This to save par. It, it was. Unexpectedly, all three of those players missed the green. Scotty with the longest par putt and drained it first set the tone and kept that score at 18 under par. And then 18, it's just all academic here at this point. Bogey free, 65, goes back to back, hug with Ted Scott. I, it's like it was a flashback. Meredith was there wearing the hat. Uh, it's just neat to see, and no one has won more since the beginning of 2021, 2022, than Scotty Scheffler, just ahead of Rory McIlroy and Max Homa. And yesterday afternoon, Scotty spent some time with our own George Savaricas. He's a proud Texan, but he's right at home here in the Valley of the Sun. Scotty Scheffler making it back to back. We talked about how hard you've been working on your game in the offseason. How complete a performance was it today? Yeah, very, uh, gosh, I don't know if complete's the right word because I felt like I was grinding really hard all day. I hit some, hit a few wild ones off the tee, but you know, um, I grinded out. I putted fantastic today. I think really putting was probably the key to the, the win today. You talk about the hot putter tournament basically hung in the balance on the 16th. You have a par putt. Nick Taylor is a par putt. You're nursing that one shot lead. How crucial was that? That was a big putt. Um, I, I was fortunate to have seen kind of the break going as the uh, as a chip went by the hole and then um, fortunately just stayed online the whole time and went down the bottom and um, I didn't get a chance to see Nick's putt there but I know he had a good one again on 17 and he played fantastic today. He had a lot of good putts and a lot of good shots and it was a, uh, a good battle with him. Was that the point of the tournament where you thought, okay, I'm going to close this out? I mean, I was I was hoping that the whole time. I felt very confident going into today, and um, you never really feel like you have it in order until I had about six inches there on the last hole. You know, I, you know how I do it. <laughs> Got to get really close there on the last hole. <laughs> last year, you get your first one at the WM Phoenix Open. You're a chaser. This year, you have the target on your back. You have world number three John Rahm in that final group with you. How would you compare the two wins? I mean, both very special. Last year being my first win, and this one, you know, beating John and Nick. I mean, Nick really played fantastic golf today, and um, John, they both got off to a really good start and, you know, put a lot of pressure on me most of the day, but I uh, felt like I responded really well to it, and uh, I'm very uh, grateful for the result today. Scotty Scheffler proving to be a very tough out on the PGA Tour, and, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, Scotty Scheffler, once again atop the official World Golf Ranking, knocking out. Rory McIlroy still ahead of John Rahm, who just a few weeks ago said he was the best player in the world. And you have to think deep down in his heart, he still believes it. Paige McKenzie, if this is what the designated events are all about, you know, give me more. How good is the state of the game right now? Well, it was funny. I think it was Thursday before the tournament began. It was the pregame show. I was sitting with Brandel and Rich. And as we ended the show, Rich posed the question of, you know, Rory's done this, Rom's done this, who's the best player in the world? My response was, isn't that why we're here? 
And, uh, and I think that, that to answer your question, Damon, that is part of the purpose of having these designated events is that you have the best players in the world being able to walk inside the ropes head-to-head -head more often against each other. And you can compare. I mean, it was neat to see... I get neat may not be the correct word, but it was interesting to see the driving struggles of John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler over the course of the weekend. Which one was going to grind it out better? You saw the scramble that John Rahm had. He had so many up and downs from over 100 yards to save par. You saw that style of his game come out again, head to head inside the ropes against Scotty Scheffler. And I love that aspect of it. To me, it was it was a great display. You throw in the fact that you have Nick Taylor jumping in with life-changing money, even as a runner-up finish. Uh, these designated events are, are starting to really, really get excited and warm up the rest of the season. I remember having a conversation with John Fields, the coach at UT, before Scotty Scheffler had ever won, and he said, Scotty has the it factor in a short game that is second to none. And I just thought it was school pride talking. He wants to see his alum do well. And then we see him on this stage, the first full field designated event in this new era of golf. And there's Scotty Scheffler, who just kind of won't be ignored. We keep talking about and highlighting the other players in the game and their gifts. And there's Scotty Scheffler, now five wins since the 2021-2022 season. I mean, let's be honest. It was only a few weeks ago when we were probably having a conversation on this very desk about the idea that should Scotty Scheffler be the PGA Tour Player of the Year? Mm -hmm. Because it was going to be a vote. And Rory McIlroy was going to be in the mix. Cam Smith was going to be in that mix. And it was a conversation. I think a lot of people were leaning in a lot of different directions. Now, in retrospect, we're a year later. He has found his form again. And you're absolutely right. When you look at him coming out of college, I asked Ryan Ladner, mm -hmm. who covers the college game for us, does it as well as anyone else. After he won the Masters last year, did you see this coming? Even Ritt Lau had to tell me that absolutely not. And I will say, I think Paige got it right. It was neat. I'm going to go ahead and agree with her. That, that was the right thing to call it yesterday. This is the secret sauce of the yeah. designated events. This is what this is all about. And I would go a step farther and say, this is proof of concept. We have now seen it. We saw it in Maui. We saw it this week. And something tells me we'll see it again this week in L.A. How about that, Paige? The fact that you had, you know, these, these A-listers like John Rahm and Scotty Shuffler, but then Nick Taylor also trying to fight his way in these designated events and become one of those top 20 players that, that takes home some PIP money and is exempt into all the big events. Well, if you listen to the beginning of the week, how the players talked about the field here, I think it was John Rahm, maybe a couple other players said, this is a major type field as it relates to the strength and the number of the top players that were playing in it. And you, you have somebody like a t Nick Taylor, who's a former number one amateur player in, in the world, that gets a chance to be side by side and test and prove where he is in the game. And, and you don't necessarily appreciate the strength of each and every field that you play in. But in, in this case, because it was highlighted, because the money was that much more, because there was that much more attention as the full field designated, I think it gave and elevated him and his profile in the game. So I like that opportunity as well. You start to see other players, not just the top 20, but when you, you know that the field is that deep and you have somebody else insert themselves into that conversation, uh, I like it as just a golf fan. Mm, great point. Styles make fights, and Nick Taylor proved that he belonged on the biggest stage with the best players in the world. Welcome back to Golf Today. Yesterday in the WM Phoenix Open, Scotty Scheffler successfully defended his title at TPC Scottsdale. Final round 65, bogey free to beat Nick Taylor by a couple of shots with Scotty's fifth career PJ Tour win, and the win vaults him back to the top spot in the official world golf ranking. How about some notable Texans? 
to win. Scotty back to back. Yeah, Scotty born in Jersey, I know, but he, he represents Texas. Went to UT, considers himself a Texan. You got Hogan, Nelson, Ralph Goodall back in 1932 at Phoenix Country Club. And, and by the way, Miller Barber, the 71 champ, spent much of his life in Texas, a member of the Texas Golf Hall of Fame, in case you're wondering where Miller Barber is. Let's not uh, sleep on Miller. Let's not speak on sleep on Mike Booker as well. Speaking of Texas, the golfer is a 2019 inductee into the Texas Golf Hall of Fame, a four-time Texas Golf Association Player of the Year 2012, 14, 15, and 2022 as well. Three-time Texas Senior Player of the Year as well. And now we can add to the buy. How about Author, because he has a new book out called The Tournament Golfer's Playbook, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, The Path of the Tournament Golfer, which launched on January 1st of this year and debuted on Amazon. As the number one new release in golf, the book is written for the golfer who wants to win more tournaments. And Mike joins us on this Monday. Thanks for the time. First of all, writing a book is a Herculean task. How did this project come about? I tell you what, it's uh, I was never on my first of all. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Love, I'm a big fan of your show. So, um, about five or six years ago, the great coach Jonathan Desmuke at my alma mater, University of Houston, gave me a call and he said, "I have got this crazy talented group of guys, but we are not performing." They could not figure out what in the world is going on. So he figured it was probably something to do with the way they were managing their game. So. He asked me to come talk to them. Of course, I was flattered and honored to do that. So I started to work on a, an outline of what I thought was important for tournament golfers. And it's funny, when I first sat down with them, there were about 15 of these young men. And the first words out of my mouth were, are you tournament golfers? Or are you just golfers who play tournaments? And of course, they all looked at each other like, what the heck does that mean? And I talked uh, to them about that day about what it takes to be a tournament golfer versus just a golfer who plays tournaments. And it was kind of funny. They, uh, uh, I think I kind of connected with them on that. And about three weeks later, sure enough, they stepped up and, and won a big tournament. And I, I like to think I played some little small role in that, maybe not. But I started thinking, maybe I've got something here. So I, I started doing expanding my outline. And after a while, the outline got to be a little big. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can do a book. And so I researched online golf books. And oh my gosh, there were 65,000 golf books. And I thought to myself, does the world really need another golf book? And as I dug a little deeper, I saw that many of these golf books were written about the mental aspect of golf, which was my interest. And then as I looked further, I saw that a lot of golf books on the mental game of golf were written by sports uh, psychologists. And I thought, well, I wonder how many of the sports psychologists have actually stood over a five-foot putt to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. And I had. How many of them stood up on the 72nd tee box of the final tour school needing to make a par on the last hole to get their card? So the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, I think it won't kill the world if one more book comes out, but not from a, a golf psychologist, but from a tournament golfer. When you look, and I don't want to undercut this book at all, but I am curious that it seems to me covering at least PGA Tour golfers that there is more times than not that they're motivated by something negative, missing that five-footer, uh, having to play away from a hazard, whatever the case may be. Is that a mistake Do you see top-level golfers make? Well, I think in terms of um, thinking negatively, you know, my definition of the tournament golfer 
is, you know, not having any excuses, taking responsibility for every shot you hit, not living in, you know, feeling like they live in a world where there's good breaks and bad breaks. They just go about their business. And one of the one of the great things about, uh, in my definition of a tournament golfer, is that they they live in the present. They have a process, which I'm sure you've heard other guests talk about, where they're just focusing on the best preparation for them to hit the shot. They're not worried so much about the result. You know, if you've got a, uh, you're talking about the uh, putting, if you've got a 10 footer, let's say on the last hole to win the tournament, I think a tournament golfer is not worried about, oh, I hope it goes in or what the trophy is going to look like, you know, in their, in their study. They're just thinking about the process of getting ready to hit the very best putt they can hit. And if it goes in great, if it doesn't go in, they understand that once they hit it, they have no control over it. Jackie Burke once told me uh, when I took a lesson from him uh, 40 years ago that I should never try and make a putt. And what he was telling me was to stay in the process, send the ball down the line as best you can. But once you hit that ball, you don't have any more control over it. Now, the other golfer I talk about in the book is the opposite of that, what I call the golfer who plays tournaments. And this, this person has a golf bag full of excuses. They don't take responsibility for their golf shots. And they think they live in a world of good breaks and bad breaks and that they're getting all the bad breaks. And so um, that, that, that is the, what I'm trying to get people in, in this book. My whole essence of this book is to have people, the, the readers, become tournament golfers and stop being the golfer that just plays tournaments. Mike, real quick, being your own best friend, I'm, I'm amazed at the similarities between golf and tennis. How, how does an athlete, a competitor, a tournament golfer, or tennis player be his or her own best friend? It's a great question. And, you know, golf is so unique that way. You don't have a, you know, like the Super Bowl yesterday, you don't have a marginally thrown pass, let's say, and, and, a, and a fantastic reception. In golf, you don't have somebody setting a pick for you so you can make the easy layup. And so it's it's very lonely, it's very solitary, and you have to really work at being your own best friend. And that a lot of that is has to do with self-talk. Most great players uh, have great self-talk. They talk in the first person. I can get through this. I know I'm going to be okay. Uh, the the golfer who plays tournaments, the the other side of thing, I, the the other type of golfer I talk about in my book, they talk in second person, like you're going to miss this putt. You're such a choker. And so it's really important in being your own best friend to be able to catch yourself getting negative and immediately stop being negative. And when you when you uh, are able to catch yourself being negative, then you can get into the habit of really positive self talk. At the beginning of that chapter that you referenced, being your own best friend, I, uh, I use the quote that talks about, it's not what you say to other people in your life, it's what you whisper to yourself that makes things happen or not happen. Wonderful advice. One more look at Mike Booker's book, The Tournament Golfer's Playbook. Fantastic advice. Turn yourself into a tournament golfer, not just a golfer who plays tournaments. Mike, thanks so much, pal. You bet. And it's a TG, Tournament Golfer, TG Playbook. Dot com for anybody who's interested in, in more information on the book. And you can order it there, too. Great stuff. Also available on Amazon. It's still to come on Golf Today. L.A. Country Club will host the U.S. Open later this summer where a gentleman named Aaron Grimes is a caddy, but he wants to play. His story is next. Aaron joins us now. Aaron, in Compton, other sports are king. Basketball, street football. Why did golf speak to you the way that it did 
it, it was the only individual sport that you know kind of gave me the uh i guess the uh just uh the takeaway from the sport that made me feel like I was in control of the situation. Aaron, you mentioned this in the feature. What would it mean to you if you were able to qualify for the U.S. Open and play it at Los Angeles Country Club, which you know so well? It would mean everything. I think I can go there, make the cut, and have a good finish on any given day since I know that course so well. So it would mean everything if I got to qualify and play in the 23 U.S. Open. 28 years of age, you turned pro, you called it one of the biggest hurdles of your life with the lack of sponsorship, mm -hmm. for example, the financial sacrifices that you've had to make. How have you made chasing the dream even work so far to this point? You know, I've just kind of surrounded myself with um, people who's given me that structural support that's needed, uh, as well as like coaching, um, just the mental side of things, people that kind of keep me going. Um, that's kind of how I've got it done. It's just surrounding myself with people who help me push and, and get towards that journey. Now, you, we were just talking with you about the idea of the U.S. Open being at LACC. You've played it mm -hmm. a couple of times. I think you described it as a beast in that segment. Yeah. What do you think it's going to be like as a U.S. Open venue? You know, I, I can't say for now. I, I'd have to see it the week of. But in my, my head, my idea is that it's going to play fast, firm, the Bermuda rough is going to overtake, you know, if you miss the, the fairway. It should, you're going to have to plot your way around the golf course every step of the way. And it's just going to be a fun challenge for, I think, everyone in the field. And hopefully for you, as mentioned, you're going to try to qualify at a place where you can. Mm -hmm. What's your practice plan leading up to qualifying? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'll just stick to my normal routine. You know, I won't, won't try to do anything special. Um, I'll get my reps in, my tournament reps leading up to the U.S. Open qualifying. I'll do everything that I would normally do for any other normal tournament. Now, going back to the feature, Aaron, you talked about Maggie Hathaway, the par three course where you mm -hmm. learned the game. How would you describe that to people who've never had the opportunity to play there and what it meant to you growing up? Man, so Maggie Hathaway is a cool little little par three. It's right in the, the, the heart of South Central. You get the, the planes from LAX flying over every five minutes, so you never get a, a moment of silence out there. It's just a really cool, like, just a, it's, it's a municipal little park of three in a neighborhood, and it's, it's, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, that, that course is, it's fun. I got good memories there from, like, my early days in golf. It is awesome, but it's very different from LA Country Club, the North Course. How does it mm -hmm. fit your game as you look ahead to this summer? Uh, L.A. Country Club? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That, well, so I actually had to learn how to play that course as I've been caddying there. And every every time you go out there, it's you get a different challenge. So, I mean, my game is pretty simple. I like to drive hit driver off the tee a lot, and I drive it normally straight. Um, and then I just try to attack when I can. At that course at L.A. Country Club, you only get about four or five different holes where you really can, you know, be aggressive and go for the birdie. But – I mean, my game is simple. I'm usually aggressive, and I'm pretty pretty accurate off the tee. So just hit it in play, and then if you got a chance to go for a pin, you do it. Obviously, Los Angeles Country Club is very, very special to you, having the opportunity to qualify mm -hmm. to play the U.S. Open there. But I would be curious, Riviera, PGA Tour is in town mm -hmm. this week. What would it mean if you were yeah. able to play in that event? Tiger Woods is involved. It means so much to the community. Mm -hmm. So the genesis is one I've had my eye on the last. I mean, I probably since I turned pro. You know, a bunch of my friends got uh, the Charlie Sippert exemption into that. So I'm always like kind of just right around this time of year. I'm kind of anxiously going through my emails to see if maybe I got the exemption. But I got to work a little harder. 
to play a little better and, and get some uh, notoriety to get that exemption. So that one right there, that's that's in my backyard too. That all, all my friends are in LA. That'd be the probably a highlight of my career playing in that one. Aaron, in the piece, we detail the drive from uh, Compton to Los Angeles Country Club. Mm -hmm. L.A., like many cities in our country, has remnants of segregation, echoes of old laws and tradition. You are literally driving through that history every day when you yeah. go to work. How much do you sense that weight and feel it when you make that drive? I mean, so when I, I bag out of my front yard, you know, that starts the journey. And obviously, it, it, it's going to be different coming from Compton to Westwood and then you know, uh, uh, Beverly Hills, where, right where uh, L.A. Country Club is. So you, you kind of just see the sense of uh, the neighborhoods change. I'm on the 405 the whole way, but you got neighborhoods right off the freeway. And you can see it all. You can see the change from, you know, just, I mean, the I guess you can call it the, the hood where I live. And then you get to L.A. Country Club where it's, I mean, it's beautiful. You, you got, you walk, get off on Wilshire Boulevard. And then you see the alleyway of all the buildings kind of leading up to L.A. Country Club. And that that's kind of when I know things are changing, right when I get off on Wilshire Boulevard. You talk about changing within your community. Has the outlook towards mm -hmm. golf changed at all? I mean, obviously, you talked about in the piece, you started playing golf for fun. It wasn't until you were much, much older that you started thinking about doing this as a career. Is that outlook starting right. to change a little bit? You know, I, I can't say for sure. Um, in 2019, I was doing a little work with the SCGA, uh, the Southern, Southern California Golf Association. And we, we were working on getting uh, access for high schoolers and, and middle school kids, uh, access to a golf course called Compton Par 3. And, you know, because of COVID, that kind of just went away. But we were definitely working on changing, you know, you know, the outlook on golf, getting kids more involved. And they were going to be able to play golf for free after school every day of the week. For but you... It, it, sorry, go ahead. To, to that point, I mean, for you, you you've talked about the barriers that, that you faced. I'm just curious, what are the barriers like for the young people behind you <laughs> growing up in Compton? Is it Are you optimistic? Or, or are they going to be oh, dealing yeah. with some of the same, you know, fences and, and obstacles that mm -hmm. you faced? No, I'm, I'm very optimistic. The game of golf is is changing. It's it's looking, it's looking good in the future. I say this all the time. I think golf is in the best place that it's ever been in. You know, we, we've got so many people behind golf, and with uh, the social media influence that's in golf now, I mean, it's it's accessible to anyone. You just have to know, you know, where to go to play it. So I'm very optimistic on it. Well, Aaron, you're part of that change as well. Congrats on all you've accomplished in the game. Best of luck trying to qualify for the U.S. Open. I know you'll give it your best shot. Thank you, guys. I'm going to give it everything I got. <laughs>